Hi, I'm Liz Fair, and you're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast. Make me a deal and make it good for me. I won't get full of myself, I can't afford to be. This is small town music, this is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me today in the Zoom room is singer, songwriter, author, two-time Grammy nominee, Ms. Liz Fair. Hello Liz, how are you doing? I'm doing well, how are you Pat? I am good. Now we're both in California, correct? Yes. I am in Woodland Hills, California, and you're by the beach. Yes. As it should be. Um, how long have you lived in California? 20 years. 20 years. So you moved here in 2000? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Boy, I'm yeah. good at, I'm good at math. Uh, 2020 minus 20, <laughs> 2000. I moved here in 1995. So I've been here for 25 years. Do you find that since you live here, because you grew up in Chicago and I grew up in Pennsylvania and then I moved to Chicago, I lived in Chicago six years before I moved here. And now that I live in California, I call it California bones, because if it gets to be below 60 degrees, I'm freezing. <laughs> Absolutely. When I go home, it's it's just it's I don't understand how it can be that cold. I don't I don't get it either. And especially I, this time of year, there's something particularly, you know, I mean, I know that it gets worse in January, February when everyone has to deal with the gray. Yeah. But at least by March, it's kind of warming up. But like right around now, it is just brutal that wind chill in chicago unbelievable when uh when we don't have a pandemic and i have to drive my uh, daughter to high school uh, i will go out and warm the car up in the morning in southern california here in california here in california because it, it, it could be 40 degrees in the at seven in the morning I'm not going out no, in that, Liz. I have been known, yeah, I have been known to bundle up like as if it's below zero out here just to take a walk. You know, like, well, you got to be careful with the wind chill, which is, you know, <laughs> negligible out here. But you have to bundle up and then you have to put sunscreen on. You have to do both of those things all at the same time to protect ourselves. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Liz, before we get started, what question are you sick of answering or sick of being asked? Sick of answering. Well, right now it's like women in rock. Oh, it's the worst. I've been, I've been obviously sort of taking a feminist perspective since the beginning. And so sometimes it gets tiresome to have to be, I guess, you know, honestly, the thing that I like the least are weak questions, like big open-ended questions. Like, tell me, how do you feel about your career now as opposed to the beginning of your career? And I don't really have specific answers for that. You know, like, right. uh, how can I summarize the last 30 years for you? You know, I can't really. So the question I'm most tired of asking, I mean, answering is probably somehow like people that are late to the game about women in rock and I'm supposed to represent all females mm -hmm. or just, you know, how do you feel about the beginning of your career? You know, that kind of thing, open-ended stuff like that. Do you think people ask you that question? Cause you, you still skew or you still look very young. 
Do you, I, I, don't, I doubt that people were asking Chrissy Hind that question because she would punch them in the face. Well, right. I don't punch people in the face, so maybe they can get away with it. I just think it's journalism. I think it's just they don't want to do the work of summarizing the last 30 years of my career, so they want me to do it. Right. Or they don't want to have to get into women in rock or wade into that uh, ring and get slugged out, so they want me to do it. Like I just consider it lazy. When does that end? When does a question like that end? I mean, we've had women in rock forever. I mean, even if you, you know, if you want to include, you know, Aretha Franklin in rock. It's never going to end per se, I doubt. But I just, I think it's too broad. I don't Mm -hmm. like broad questions. Broad questions of any nature are too much to put on someone else. Like if I could be, you know, when you Google someone for a quote, Mm -hmm. you're looking for Mark Twain quote or something. Like if I had those, I'd put them up there. You know what I mean? If I had like (laughs) the picky summary for everything that's happened in the last 35 years, but the journalist doesn't. So why would I? That must just drive you crazy then when you're in an interview. Because as soon as you hear a question like that, I would imagine you're you're out of it. You're out of the interview. You're like, I don't even care about this anymore. I mean, well, that's I how that I would be. Done, yeah, they haven't done what they're supposed to do. Right. They haven't done it and they want me to do it for them. Well, now the pressure's on. By asking yeah, you this question, now the pressure's on me. Just ask me what you actually want to know. I will. I that's will. First of all, this is uh, this is your first book. There's yes. no... Uh, there's, this is all you. There's no co-author on this. Many times when I pick up a rock autobiography, there's a co-author. So every word in here, this is, these are yours. You didn't have any help yes. with this. You wrote I this. mean, I did have help. I had an editor and sure. I had my agent and then I had a copywriter. But right. they, you know, my editor and, and everybody is like, we want your voice. We want your voice, mm-hmm. which I'm, I mean, I have been a writer for a long time. Right. I've just been a music lyricist mm-hmm. as opposed to prose and what you're holding in your hand was written in about two years but before that I was trying to write fiction like actual fiction so I did that quietly and privately for about 10 years mm-hmm. and really was not very you know I was shocked at how much harder it was than I expected so I got I had private training before I actually attempted my memoir but it's still writing is so fun and challenging and everything. And I, and I love the fact that when I'm writing, I don't have to ask an engineer to do something or a producer, if I can do something or a label, if I can get money to do something, you know, like I can just make it the way I want to make it. You can just and do it. Just it's wait. so, yeah, I love that about it. Uh, so is, and I'll jump around a little bit. So is this what you were doing in the years between fun style and uh, your single good side. Is this what those 10 years were? You were not only writing this book, which took you two years, but you were looking to write uh, fiction. I was, yeah, I was very serious about it. I didn't want to talk about it because it takes a while to, to feel confident. Right. As you know, someone in a different to you're not good at first. You have to overcome self-doubt because what you can imagine, just like starting in any career, just what you imagine you'll 
be like is not at all what you end up being like in a concrete fashion. Like you have to put in the 10,000 hours basically. And, you know, maybe I shaved in there under the 8,000 hour. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) there's room for improvement, but I felt confident enough to tackle memoirs. I felt confident and excited to put it out. I wasn't, you know, I was scared, but a lot of what I was scared about was the revealing nature of my memoirs. It wasn't so much the writing itself. At that point I had written and had it critiqued and written and had it critiqued and written and had it critiqued by then enough that I felt like I was a writer. Um, So there was a lot of things I was nervous about when I put that um, book out, but I had already proved to myself that I wanted to do this. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed doing this and I had a facility for it. Let me ask you this because I know that you have a you have a son. He is he twenty two. God, he's almost twenty four. He's almost twenty four. So when you're writing a book like horror stories, and you know that he might read it, how does that influence how you're writing? Like you know, I would I don't know that I would want to write down everything that I did and hand it over to my to my twenty and sixteen year old and have them read <laughs> what dad and in my I'm sure my wife would feel the same way. So how or I guess you just have to just not care that if he reads it or sees it? That's a great question. Excellent question. Um, It is very challenging to want to be an authentic and provocative writer, either in music or in, you know, literary, in the the literary sense. Um, I have already sort of broken that barrier long before he was born if you think about a song like flower Mm -hmm. you know when i was 26 that already overshot the mark like the people i think i am in a unique position where my close friends and family either don't read it okay don't comment on it you know i've gotten away with my parents not being particularly thrilled about me being in rock and roll You know, so there was like, I enjoyed a little bit of a protective veil as, as my ex-husband, the father of my son told him like, just don't read it. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) it just, it works out better for me because I don't think you can make, I can't make anything worth reading without being, without challenging myself in the honesty department. Yes. I, I don't think. I did encounter after that book came out a couple of people that were hurt by what I wrote Mm -hmm. and I just took it on the face and we worked it out and everybody's fine now and everyone's happy and it's all mended. But I don't think it's easy to be close with someone who does this like I do. And most of my close friends and family, like my personal life, you would find a, a stark demarcation between the Liz fair person and the person I am at home, you know, like to my son, I'm mom and he doesn't interface with my rock and roll career very much at all. Doesn't feel weird about, I've asked him, I've been like, we had to, cause we were recording songs. He had to be my engineer during the pandemic. Okay. He had to figure out, we had to do this sort of FaceTime with um, professionals to help him figure out how to work logic or pro tools and he's been amazing at it. I almost see it as like an apprenticeship. Like that's he's cool. an able-bodied human who's stuck at home here with me. And so like he can't go out and work in the world at the moment 
because he needs to like find a job. He's, he's the kind of person that would have to put a lot of foot traffic into it. And he's doing all this stuff with me, learning how to do technical things. And we were recording a song that had some lyrics some, in some it. Some lyrics in it, sure. Liz, Liz Fair lyrics, the lyrics that we are. He, he has like somehow magically disassociated himself from whatever I say or do that way. And it does, and I'm like, are you, I feel a little weird about this. How are you feeling about this? Like, you don't deserve to have to do this with me right now. And he's like, I don't care. He really, <laughs> you can ask him, and later on, he may have a different answer. Yeah. But every time I've asked him about it, he doesn't care at all. He's an artist himself. Now, if you if you're feeling this way, how are you able to really uh, give it the best uh, performance and really sell it? If you're a little bit concerned that your son's in the room and he's, he, I mean, if he's engineering, it's right in his ears. He's really as close to it as you're ever going to get. So maybe maybe it's like in our natures, maybe Mm. running through our bloodline is a, my mother was an art historian and was a docent at the art Institute of Chicago. So she took me around to see all sorts of paintings and maybe they're paintings and maybe they're in a museum and there's a remove. I don't think she thought of me doing it. But her love of art encompasses provocative art and challenging art and all sorts of stuff that, you know, in polite society would be considering disrupt disruptive. Right. So I I knew from the beginning that people did that. And if you were going to be good, you had to do that. You know, you challenge the culture, you challenge the way we perceive things. And so in my family, there's an understanding that art is art and life is life. That's good. That's good. Um, and then, so when you're saying when your parents might not have been happy with your uh, rock and roll success or, or maybe lyrics that you wrote, um, it's a little bit on your mom too, because she exposed you to some things. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this art. It's not on her. It's not like, it's really- <laughs> Like, I don't think but she you know what you know what I mean. I mean, if you see if you see certain art when you're a, a certain age, you're like, mm, you know, and then you're you're more open to things. It's yeah. true. It's yeah. true. If you're going to raise a creative child, you cannot control the ways in which that child is going to exactly ricochet off of what you. But does any family have a lock on that? Like, think about mm-hmm. the kids that get into serious addiction or they have, you know, there's all sorts of problems that can, That's you true. can't control it. That's true. I think more people should get over this idea that art is threatening or mm-hmm. art is upsetting. It's the place in my life where I'm free to do whatever and say whatever that I wouldn't naturally do in life. Like I don't live every song the way I wrote it. Right. And it's, it is my freedom place. And it, it, allows me to be responsible and grown up and work through issues. I just think it's, I wish the culture would move along much faster than it has in terms of embracing our inner lives and our inner soul needs and get over all this gunplay that's everywhere. The violence and the me and the you and the dominance and the, you know, if more people could explore their psyches and feel great about it and, and, you know, use it almost as therapy or a communication thing. I just think it's such a sad state that, you know, what have you done? You know, it's, it's 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 not, it's not getting better either. I don't think. 
Well, <laughs> it means a lot of things are really screwed up yeah. right now. And, um, and then when people yeah. would, when people, I, I used to hate when people would attribute uh, art to, to violence. You know what I mean? Oh, if yeah. you see, if you see a Rambo movie, you're going to go kill people. No, you're not. If you listen to heavy metal, you're going to take drugs. No, you're not. Those things aren't going to make you do these things. You're probably feeling violent and then you go look for violence somewhere, or you're probably taking drugs and then you like someone exactly. who's like espousing drugs. Like anyone that thinks that art is starting the pressure is insane. insane. Art is alleviating the pressure. Absolutely. Life is starting the pressure. That I agree. What can I say? But I agree. So you're, uh, you're under lockdown still, you're quarantining, yeah. whatever you want to call it, just you and your son. Yes. I would imagine, uh, I don't know about you and your, I, I, we have a much better dialogue with our children than my wife and I had with our parents. Is that, is that the case for I you too? Yeah. The internet changed everything. Like as of 2000, everybody had the same access right. to the same sort of cultural touchstones. Right. We're all absorbing similar um, what do you want to call it? A zeitgeist has sort of included. And if you, you know, I think the people that are older who don't want to like engage mm-hmm. with that medium, yeah, they feel to me farther away because they're not sort of engaging in the same collective medium. And they feel more, you know, I'm always bugging my mother, like, you know, please don't ask me how to work your phone at this point. Like, how old is your mom? How old is your mom? Um, 86, I 86. Think. Okay. Yeah. My parents are 82. So yeah, they don't even have a computer or a smartphone. So bravo she to your mom. Want it. She thinks it's incredibly rude. Like she still, she, they still don't have a call waiting. They think it's incredibly rude to interrupt a conversation. Like, and I, I appreciate that more and more. The pandemic has definitely slowed life down right. and I don't hate that. I do not hate that. Um, being stuck indoors, I hate. But we but can get, we can go. I mean, hug people. Well, I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's worrisome. What about, but you can, you can go out for a walk. Like we, we, my wife and I take a, take a walk. But I have walk to walk every, through like the strand with all these people around here. Oh, okay. So it's like you hold your breath and run through them. I started going really early to the beach, like crazy early. There you go. And especially in the beginning of lockdown, I had a whole nocturnal life down at the beach, which let me tell you, it was hopping down there. Like <laughs> I would pass a surfer at three in the morning coming up from the water and I'm like, tip of the hat, <laughs> you know, like. Is it, uh, will this, uh, it, I can't imagine that uh, the, the pandemic can affect uh lyrics in upcoming music i mean i don't you, i don't do that I you mean, don't do it okay build of that i'm not interested in putting the stuff that i really hate and don't want to think about that i don't feel like benefits me in any way i don't want to make a lockdown record i want to make an all all-time record gotcha because it's like the same thing why don't you make a song about trump i don't want to give trump a song no he doesn't need he a doesn't song get a song the virus doesn't get a song okay. not for me I was thinking though more like the positives that you were talking about. There are some positives uh, with being like, this is probably the most time you've spent with your son in a couple of years. Cause as they get older and they go off to college, if he is at college. Um, but now you guys are together and you're, there's probably a lot more uh, conversation. I'm just assuming. Yeah. Cause that's yeah. how it is in our house. Yeah. 
there was a period of time when we were like more butting heads. And then this is just, we're really good. We're a good team. We're a good team for this kind of stuff. Excellent. He's a great, he's a great person. That's what's great. That's when I feel good. Surpassing me in a lot of ways. It's interesting. This is the age at which he's starting to surpass me. Like we were working on art and, um, my input was actually making things worse. And when I left the room, it got better. And so I'm like, okay, I get it. Nice. Can't really teach you much. The, um, I, uh, I feel good about the future because of, of my kids. And when I meet their friends, they seem to have it together. They seem so, you know, when people are like, where's the world headed? I go, I, I don't know. I'm talking to a lot of kids that, you know, seem positive and they're open to, everything and uh so i'm, I'm sure they're your son's the same way each other. Yeah. they're sensitive to each other they're but man they are opinionated and they are political. opinionated like i can't even wade in those waters but when they get off the phone, socialism comes up and i'm like okay let's just dial it down <laughs> you know because like yeah they want the world to change and they're not wrong they want this country to function better and they're not wrong. And it must be incredibly frustrating to yeah. look at how yeah. old our leaders are. Oh my God. And how slowly this country changes. It just must drive them up a wall. I'm used to that. They don't see the sense in it. And I can't argue with that. We can't even get the leaders to be my age and your age. I mean, I think the leaders are old too. You know, I well, mean, it was that baby boom, right? Mm-hmm. The baby boomers, yeah. the boomers. Like it's the boom. We heard about this, the white, white avalanche or tsunami, whatever it was. There was going to be that. I can remember that like in the 90s, they were talking about that. When this generation reaches, you know, 65 and older, there's going to be so many of them. And they, <laughs> they're having their moment, yeah. you know, like, but it is, it's so frustrating for the young, I think. Yeah, I mean. Very, they're, they're having to, the young are having to shoulder the burdens of mistakes made by not even the generation above them, but the generation above that. Right. And they're looking at a hard road and it's not fair. No, it's not. And, and again, I'm a white guy and. I hate seeing all these white guys with white hair. It's just like, I'm like, is this it? Is this what we got right now? When is this going to stop? That's why when I see a guy like John Ossoff or Pete Buttigieg, I'm like, they're still guys, but at least they're young. But thank God for Kamala Harris. I mean, I mean, it just, it's, it's a whole, it's, it's a huge, we need to click over many more times in our society at the moment. Yeah, for sure. Um, what uh, what was my next? I got holiday it. music. Holiday music. We can talk about holiday, holiday. music. Yeah, that's what I threw was out that to just you. Bait and switch. Were you just telling my manager we were going to talk about holiday music? You didn't really mean it because I, I would wait for I, someone to talk to holiday. I would never. Yeah. I would never promise that and not do it. I do want to give thanks to Taylor Thompson for setting this up. Yes. I, and yes. And they, they've look. Time. I've been trying to get you on the show for a long time. I know there's a fine line between being persistent and being a nuisance. And I walk that. Were a I was a nuisance because. You were uh, a nuisance. And you, <laughs> you really shouldn't have done that to me because I'm the most, that will just in, I will dig in the other direction. That's kind Every of how it's funny. Cause has an opposite and equal reaction. I, I did warn you. I did. You warn did you. warn me. And um, gonna work. I know, but I just, uh, 
But then when you went quiet for a long time, look, here I am. That's right. Okay. Well then, okay. So people, if you're listening, that's how Liz Fair operates and she's not lying. So <laughs> I always, I always input the information and I put it in the back of my head. I just don't get to it on time, right? but it's always there. Like I never, if I say something, I'm going to do something. It, it might be two years later, but it always happens. Cool. Well, and that's happening right now. So, okay. Christmas, first of all, are you a big Christmas person? Do you like the holidays? I do. And I, I will admit to a sneaky enjoyment of not having the crazy Christmas that we always have. Like there's a tiny bit of me that feels like I got a year off in a weird way. Cause at my age, you're the Christmas maker. Yeah. You have to do it all. You're not necessarily a Christmas enjoyer. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I'll come screeching in from a very busy December where, you know, I'm in one now and it's during a pandemic and it's, we're just got to get this done. got to get this done. And then it's time to like put on your, what do they call it? Sally homemaker outfit and like totally be the hostess or the guest or the, you know, it, it, my parents come out here and we go to parties and I, I see friends and there's all these traditions that we are involved in. So there's cooking, there's cleaning and there's, you know, it's just an insane, hectic mess and it's beautiful and it's splash. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. But... I'm my son and I are really psyched to just kind of like do our own little your own little Christmas. Yeah, we're planning to Zoom with my parents and do some fun games and like his dad's family. I I snuck in on the Zoom Thanksgiving they were doing. And so like there's a lot of missing the people, Mm -hmm. but I am kind of thrilled to just be like, don't have to do anything. What about a Christmas tree? Is there a Christmas tree up in your household? No. And I thought I bought a tiny little real tabletop one. And mm-hmm. I thought I was so smart, so smart, you know, because the trees are a big thing for us and they're always real. And it turned out to be artificial. I just like collapsed on the floor and practically cried. I was like, and Nick, <laughs> Nick said, he's like, I'll take it. I'll put it in my room. So now he's got like an artificial tabletop tree, but yeah, I was we, so excited. I would like lie awake at night thinking about this little tree. Like I didn't want to leave it on the stoop too long. It might get hot. It might dry out. Then I had to think about like, where was I going to plant it after Christmas? Like this thing was a live tree. I had thoughts and thoughts and thoughts about this stupid artificial tabletop tree that I thought was real. Now, where did you buy this tree? Because I can't imagine you thinking this artificial tree was a real tree, though. Liz, that sounds it's kind, kind of insane that you thought this artificial tree was a real tree. It must be the best artificial tree ever. It was from a very swanky home decor site. Okay. And I just I was so excited. So, a little tiny mini tree. We always get a we always get a real tree. We put it up this weekend, and as we're putting it up, my wife, because uh, our oldest uh, child is in Massachusetts at college and doesn't want to fly home, and we understand. But oh, yeah. uh, so it was just my wife and and me and our sixteen year old. And as we're putting the tree up, we we realized we're the only ones that are going to see this this year. <laughs> like that's kind of. But sad. you got to do it if you want to. You well, know, we like do want. I do want it. Yeah, yeah we do want it. 
But uh, we, I put this train up under the, the tree, and that's only for when friends come over that have little kids, and they play with the train, but there it is, so I guess... I guess I'm going to have to play with it, but it's just, yeah, it's just like some of the stuff that you just, I'm like, all right, this is just for us this year. Um, yeah. So growing up uh, was, uh, are you, I don't, I don't, you celebrated Christmas? Did you celebrate Hanukkah? I don't know your religious background. I don't know. We, um, I'm Episcopalian and okay. we celebrated Christmas right. and actually now we're segueing. I'm so excited into Christmas music. I was in the um, church choir. All right. So, and my church celebrated, I can't remember what it was called. It was this crazy Yule uh, banquet. Okay. So my church, I was really good friends with the daughter of the reverend. And I still am friends with her. And she was sort of a rambunctious, as sometimes the children of clergy are wont to Yeah, be. they want to break out. Yeah, she was super fun. But I was in the choir and we we had to dress. This is like when I'm nine or 10. But there was some banquet, some Yule banquet. I can't remember what it was called. And they'd set up all these banquet tables and it would all be dark lighting, candlelit and everything. We had to make all these wreaths with four candles, some Advent, something or other. Advent wreath. Probably. And then we had to wear these little felt costumes. Like we wore like red tights and green felt, almost little tiny jester costumes or something. And we had to tumble, you know, we'd like be the, the, I guess they were recreating a court, like an old English, okay. I guess Episcopalians have that Anglophilia that I carry with me to this day, but we were like the court jesters for the Yule ball and we would tumble and then sing and then serve. And I can remember walking around. I just loved the atmosphere. I right. loved sort of time traveling into this mysterious. I love Halloween, too. I like any transformative holiday. If gotcha. it's going to be transformative, I'm all in. So I look at it that way. Like Christmas to me is less about religion and much more about the winter festival and the transformation of that and time traveling back to a time when you'd actually like go out into the middle of the forest on a moonlit night and hang little ornaments on a live tree that you didn't cut down like any kind of transformative stuff i am all in and um so your parents were uh your parents were big into christmas uh are you from a big family do you have siblings we're from a medium family we had a lot of extended family okay. when we lived Cincinnati. And then everybody dispersed. We moved to Chicago. So then we had a medium family, but like my mom grew up with big, big holidays okay. and many people and like pretty formal. My dad's family was much more informal, but mom had like huge trees that they would cut from their own property and like wow. drag down. And we had a, um, we had a tradition of the kids going to bed on Christmas Eve and then the adults would stay up drinking and decorating the tree. So when we came down, like the house had completely become Christmas. Oh, that's great. And the parents would wake up with like the worst hangovers, you know, <laughs> but they kind of loved it because they'd stay up partying with each other, decorating and, you know, all the extended family, all the cousins and the grandparents. And what I loved about Christmas especially was how multi-generational it was. Right. It was everybody from the young to the old and we all participated and my father's mother would make a giant vat of eggnog which was i mean you could have lit it on fire it was so alcoholic it was just like a complete and 
my other grandmother would make rum balls, these little chocolate oh, yes. yeah. rum balls. I remember rum balls. I remember we would take these around to neighbors and stuff. Like there was such a pageantry about it. Yeah. We really, we did it up. Yeah. But nobody was particularly religious about it. There was always a sort of solemn, quiet Christmas Eve mm-hmm. where it was more contemplative. And I try to recreate that. There's sort of a quiet um, stateliness to Christmas Eve. And, but Christmas is just chaos. And and when I was a kid, like there's such a buildup because all these emotions and all these things are happening and then Christmas comes and then it's just kind of over. And that was always <laughs> just sad. It's just like, wait a minute, but yesterday, remember we were doing all that fun stuff and everyone was so happy and nice and now, wow, well, Christmas is over now. <laughs> That's where technology comes in. Yeah. That's what the, I was just talking to my son about this. Gen X really wanted new technology on Christmas. That was a huge thing for us. And that's what you did with your kids. You give them new technology, then you like shuttle them off to go play with that for the week before they're sick of it. So you get this like grace period where the kids have something to do for a week and the parents can collapse and do whatever they need to do. And would you go see Santa Claus? Would you, would you go sit on the Santa's lap and ask for gifts? Was that part of the thing or you didn't do that? Did you do that? Yeah, we would go. I, I don't know what age that stopped. I mean, I can't recall doing it after 10, but I was from a very small town in Pennsylvania, like 5,000 people. So it's like very, so yeah, we so did a lot. Of, everybody and it was a tradition. Everyone joined yeah, it. Yeah. And we would, we would do a lot of stuff longer than normal people might at that age. Like, I think I trick-or-treated when I was a senior in high school because there was nothing else to do. There was, I mean, we were, the closest city was Pittsburgh and that was two and a half hours away. So, I mean. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Yeah, so it was, you were in a rural Absolutely. Absolutely. My wife always says. so special. You can, you, knowing everybody makes that kind of like winter holiday. Yeah, unless you you don't care for those people. Well, Sure. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I certainly don't care for them uh, now uh, with uh, with the election and you find out where people stand. But, uh, but yeah, as a kid, you didn't we didn't know anything. So that was cool. So was there Christmas music in the house? Always. And it would start. Mom always cooked to classical music. So that was on every day of the year. Okay. Like it would always be classical music during dinner. Dad would come in with like Django Reinhardt or something. He had more of a he had more of a, an eclectic taste. Mm-hmm. He liked jazz. He liked um, he liked stuff he could bop to that wasn't too risky. Um, <laughs> what do you like mean? They had what do you great, mean not too risky? I don't. I'm trying to think like what his. He just he was a little more worldly with his music. Like it was well, that's not the right word. Edgier. Okay. A little edgier with his music, but they had you know I was very young when I heard Bob Dylan and. Jesus Christ Superstar and like for my parents being not at all hippie, they had mm-hmm. some they had some current stuff. I mean, I definitely Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel and Joan Baez and they had sort of the seventies classics. Music was a huge part of our life. Like my mother would always we sometimes we'd go to a midnight service just for the music. Like she was it was less about it's so weird because we were we did attend church, but they were intellectual. They were kind right. of like, well, you know, <laughs> these things are hard to define. <laughs> like <laughs> they were not religious 
in fact, I always would take communion and they wouldn't. And I'd be like, why are you not taking communion? They're like, well, you know what I mean? But, but the community of church and the music, oh my God, my mom would find the best music in the area and we'd go hear like lessons and carols or she's still into it. Music was a huge part of my growing up and they had excellent taste in music and they still do. It's still a big part of us. I don't think we ever eat without music. Yeah, go, and do you, do you play, are you playing Christmas music uh, at the house Currently, do you um, play Christmas not music? Currently, but something's wrong. I have to get my Sonos rehooked up. But um, I brought some of our little classics. I was thinking you were going to ask. Like, yeah, let's see it. Like, you can't go. You can't not have Burl Ives. You got to have that on at some point. But like, I was thinking about the songs that really contemporary ones. See, I got this. You gotta have this, Nat King Cole. We got What's Burl Ives on this. This is uh Yeah, you gotta have a Burl Ives. Yeah, we got Burl Ives on um, that one. Is that your is that your touchstone? Uh no, you know, the uh, the album that was big for my family was uh the Nat King Cole Christmas album. Nat King Cole, a hundred percent. That's mean, us. That's us. I actually purchased yeah. that last Christmas on vinyl and it came on green vinyl. So yeah, that was always a go-to and it uh you know, when you grow up with something, it just gets in your DNA and it, it that's yeah. still my go-to. I love it. You have to have, you have to have Donny Hathaway this Christmas. Yes. I have to hear the Pogues fairy tale of New York. I have to hear the Pretenders 2000 Miles. Um, Bowie and Bing Crosby. That was a pretty good one. The little drummer boy. That was really. one. That was a great one because you're. Now your parents were, were uh, sounds like a little more eclectic than my parents, but my parents could get into the Bing and Bowie because they liked Bing, and then my brother and you know the younger people liked the Bowie, so that was a nice meshing for everybody at Christmas. But on- there's always in a stocking for me. There's always mom's new favorite uh, symphony, like I don't know, like the Cambridge mm-hmm. Orchestra will do Christmas. And it's all very, one of the things I wanted to say about Christmas music that's really important to me and plays heavily into my career is that I started writing songs on guitar to write a Christmas carol. I wanted to write an original Christmas carol. That's literally why I started making up my own songs. So it was, they would put up, I would get to have colored lights in my room at home when I was young. And that's what I thought would be the best thing to do with this guitar. You know, the, the, le- the lessons that I was taking were kind of boring. So I wanted to make up my own Christmas carol and the church choir also. So like Christmas music is way more in my DNA than anyone would like to admit. And I think what Christmas music is really about, and I would take this broader and say holiday music, okay. including all the religions, it's the human voice. It's the time for the human voice. It's the most, you know, that's when you sing is around your winter holidays yeah. because dark it's deep and there's something moody about it. And I love that about the holidays, like deep, that sense of like, even if it's imaginary, uh, heavy snow, I do this thing. And I, I don't know if anyone ever does this, but here in California, I think you'll enjoy this. If okay. you ever want to try it, open up a bunch of YouTube tabs on your laptop while you're working and create a little sonic environment for yourself. You can get like two hours of just wind and then you can get two hours of like 
like crunching through a forest in the snow. And then you can play your favorite music underneath this sort of tableau. You can have a crackling fire going okay, on. So you're saying track. play all these at one time together. At one time. Okay. And you're not even looking at it. It's just background. You, I create these little winter tableau well, scenes. That is interesting. It's great. I mean, you can do it with rain at different times of the year. You can do it with all sorts of sounds, but you can create a whole sonic landscape that I find very holiday-ish. You know, I do yep. whatever one I want. I do multiple. I usually have about four or five going at once and they're ambient soundscapes and I create whatever mood I want. And then I play the music of my choice on top of that. Gotcha. That's great. cool. I like that. <laughs> That's interesting. I would have never thought to do that. That's interesting. How did you, what made you think of this? I love sound. I love sound more than I can possibly explain. I had poor eyesight when I was young. And so like the sound world feels mm -hmm. very, very real to me. And I like to create soundscapes. So do you have a sound machine at night when you're sleeping? Do you have one of those things? On the road, I do. Okay. But if at home. I'm, well, okay. Here's a good holiday thing. When everybody's in the dang house and they're all getting up at different hours, having coffee or doing whatever they're doing, or someone wants to walk to town to get an actual paper or whatever is going on. Cause we like to do the crosswords together. Okay. Like we'll Xerox it and then, or, you know, print it now, but like everyone gets the Sunday New York times and who can finish it first, but with all this activity and I'm so sound sensitive, I just have to like ear plug it up and <laughs> white noise it up. And I'm just always like grumbling, like, Oh God, I can hear everybody. You know <laughs> what? Um, when you were growing up, how did how did Christmas presents work? Did you ask for things and and get them, or did your parents want to surprise you with things? Because that's uh, like our kids are like, give us a list, and I'm just like, this isn't. I, I want to surprise you with something. I just don't want to fulfill your list. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, that doesn't don't seem. Don't you that, find it dismaying that they never particularly like what you surprise them with? They're like, oh, thanks. Well, that is true too. So there is something about just, uh, but it's, it's just so impersonal. Just it's like, here it is. And then you check it off and order it. Nick's and father and I have put all of that feeling into the ugly Christmas sweater and we swap years who gives him the ugly Christmas sweater this year. It's my year and I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm so excited about it. I can't wait till he opens it, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, we just get him what he wants now because it, I mean, I, I probably did what you did. Mm -hmm. How old are your kids? 16 and 20. Oh no, I'd given it up by then. Okay. By then I was getting them what they wanted. Um, uh, there's always stupid stuff to embarrass them that I like right, to give. Right. Like silly things. There's always silly stuff. And my parents love to do the silly stuff and his dad's family does too. So there's always got to be that whimsy, but it, it was a, a long spell of, I feel like from eight to eight to 15 where he'd say thank you and he really didn't like it you know even extravagant yeah. things like one year when he was young i got him the robotic r2d2 yeah that was supposed to go around and do things to command and talk to you i think that like sat in his closet for you know that's a bummer too when you when you look at the thing you purchased years. and they and they're not playing with it he just wanted Legos. So we just got him Legos. We got him what he wanted. And there was, he's not, yeah, I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what he wanted. And what does he get you? What kind of stuff is mom getting? 
He gets me great gifts. He gets me little thoughtful things that are pretty. Like Mm -hmm. one year that I still have in the living room, it was, um, what do you call those glass balls with stuff inside them? Uh, 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 Snow globe. It's a snow globe, but it's not. It has sand and seashells and like waves sort of blown into the glass. Or one time he got me a Harry Potter plaque that someone had painted that I still have up. Like he always, he got me a little tiny Robert Pattinson book when I was into um, Twilight. Twilight, okay. As a joke, but he has, he's so, he's almost, I'm not even going to say almost, he's more thoughtful than I am. He, he, he know he listens to the little things that I absolutely love. Like for my birthday this year, he got me two super dark 99 proof chocolate bars. And then he, created a whole clue based um, wow. treasure hunt for me to find these. It was very, that's fun. pretty great. He's really thoughtful. So, wh- so where's he getting this thoughtfulness from? Is he getting it from mom or is he getting it from dad? Who, who's the thoughtful person? He's the village, Pat. I don't know. Cause I can be abrupt and impatient. So like he's, he got it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um. Christmas specials. Did you watch the Christmas specials when you were a kid? Rudolph, the Grinch. Of course. Heat Miser. Yes. One time hard, we dressed Nick up with like he was in the White House hallway right by the Rose Garden. You know, that colonnade. Yes. With the things. He was in a black blazer. I think he was going to dancing school back then because he had a black blazer. Um, and he was looking very official in the White House hallway. You know, this is a Photoshop game. And then with Heat Miser and Cold Miser behind him, mm-hmm. <laughs> they were having a summit. I love that stop animation. It's, yeah, I it's, do too. They don't do that anymore. It's uh, No, they don't. The thing about Christmas music is, too, it's you only listen to it like from Thanksgiving through maybe New Year's Eve. And then you you don't listen to that any other time of the year. There's no other music that's like that. Like you don't say like, well, I only listen to Led Zeppelin in March. I mean, there's no, you know what I mean? It's nothing like that. So that's another thing. It's like a special, it's like a special, it's special music because it's specifically, yes, it's specifically for this time of year. It isn't just like, you know, you have a couple songs for 4th of July or you have a couple songs for Thanksgiving. Like we gather together or something like like holiday music is vast and deep. Yeah, like there's it, tons like, of it. They, there's tons of it, and there's excellent stuff. Like those winterscapes I was talking about with the the tabs, the open tabs of YouTube. Sometimes I'll do. I like a moody Christmas music. I like the fun stuff when you're cooking in the kitchen with everybody. Right. But the private sort of music I listen to when I'm chilling out from all the people. Are things like, did you ever, do you know about that TED talk by Eric Whitaker when he did the virtual choir? No, I do not. Tell me. He, I think it was 2011. He, he was a composer, a classical composer for voice. So many, many voices at once, which I love. And he had, he had people from all over the world. He gave them what I would call the stems, like the soprano part, the alto part, you know, like all the different parts. And then this editor cut them all together. So they would film themselves on their laptop performing their part. Okay. And then someone collated it and, and lined it all up and treated it until you could literally see all the different faces from all across the world. And this stunning, there's this one called looks, Aram, 
Arumke, Luke's Arumke, I think it's like light and gold. And it's just stunning. And it, you feel transported or like sometimes like the Russian Orthodox male choirs, you know, that do the corals and stuff. Like I'll put that in my winterscape. There's so many moody, deep, profound kind of feeling musical pieces associated with holidays. And it's, it may be a narrow window of time, but you can go deep. You can go into the past. You can do stuff that's super modern. It's such a fat avenue of play. And I do like when uh, one of some of my uh, favorite artists uh, do manage to uh, record a great Christmas album. Like I love James Taylor. He has a great Christmas album. Um, yeah. There's, there's just uh, I I really like. It's very pretentious, but I love Sting's uh, Christmas album. I don't know that uh, oh, one. I don't know Sting's Christmas album. It's uh, it's on a winter's night. Awesome, perfect. It's, it's perfect. uh, yeah. There's songs just like Soul Cake and Christmas at Sea and uh, Now Winter Comes Slowly. It's songs I've never heard before. And are they um, pardon me. Are they original or are they covers? I think some are, are are originals, but I think most of them are like really, really, like really old. Really oh, old love, stuff, yeah. yeah. He loves that so, stuff, yeah. doesn't he? He so, goes yeah. back to the yeah. folk. Get that, folk. pick that one up. Now, you talked about wanting to write a Christmas song when you were a kid. Do you think we'll ever get, not an album, but maybe a Liz Fair Christmas song? Do you ever think about that? I've forgotten about it. I've stopped trying. It was much harder than I thought. <laughs> you know, you couldn't but now you're more, you're more accomplished now than you were at uh, 10, 11, or 12. I did, do, I did do a good one for Amazon Music a couple of years ago. I guess it was like five years ago now mm-hmm. called Ho Ho Ho, which I'm very proud of. It was a little bit punky. Um, you should check that out on I, Amazon. I will check that out. And it's, it's, I, I inverted it. Like we were having this like completely poor poverty stricken like holiday But it was still like a great one anyway. It's great. It's like we don't have a fire. We're watching it on TV or we don't have stockings. We have socks. Our house is the dimmest one on the block. Like that's not Santa's sleigh jingling on the rooftop. That's the landlord changing the locks. You know, like we had so much fun making that one. So I have done a Christmas song. Okay. And And I played it on the Amy Mann and Ted Leo Christmas tour. Um. The whole band played it with me. But is that on iTunes? Is that somewhere where we can buy that? Or I we just have to, to find Amazon it? Amazon Music. Yeah, you can buy it All on right. Amazon Music. All right. Well, people go buy that. Oh, oh, oh. I'll look for that. I'm bummed that I didn't I know that. I'm on here to plug my Christmas song, but I actually have a Christmas song. Well, that's song. okay because you're here, so plug it. Do you have, uh, do you have, are there any decorations up at the, at your home right now? Yes, there are, there are wreaths. There are going to be, there is one, I got one balcony done with the red ribbon and the lights, okay. but it's, I'm waiting for the other, I, I got 2020 on the ribbon situation. Like, you know, it's delayed. It's delayed. We're sorry. It's canceled. So waiting on that, there's going to be, we'll do what we want. This is the holiday where we're going to do exactly what we want and nothing <laughs> that we don't. And that's the Christmas to me. I love that. We'll do what we want. Whatever we'll do what we, we want. want. Damn it. But I don't know. I feel maybe this is a, female thing women really get hit hard at christmas we're the worker bees like we're really like busting ass over the holiday well, <laughs> at least i am i feel like i don't sit down and i'm not even kidding for 10 mm. days so i finish yeah. work and then i don't even sit down and it's like morning tonight like all the stuff all the yeah. people 
the lunches, all the, the all the dinners. It's just a lot. Well, it, it, at my house, people who know us, it's no secret. Uh, my wife makes uh, uh, way more money than me. So, um, so I do, <laughs> I do, yeah, I do all the Christmas stuff though. Like I, I wrap all the presents, I put up all the lights, lug the tree in. I mean, it's not like she doesn't help. She does when great, she's free though. from work, but yeah, the I do, I do all the late. stuff. And then she comes out and says, this looks so nice. You do Aww. such a great job. So, uh, and I don't mind doing, I kind of like doing it cause uh, I grew up in my mom, my mom would bake. I swear my mom would bake like 300 Christmas cookies, like she, like 12 different kinds, like all these different oh, Christmas cookies. And uh, so, yeah, I was just, I was raised in a big Christmas household. It was a, it was a big deal. Do you remember when you were a kid, what was a, what was one of the best Christmas presents maybe that you ever got? Atari. Oh, wow. That is a good one. Light bright. Um, Walkman. Um, big ones. One time my parents splurged because I've been a very, very good girl. And this is adult life. And they gave me like a small trip. Um, sometimes my mom gets me like great boots. Um, oh, that's a good one. Jewelry always works. Jewelry is a go-to. I haven't really like... I'm due for jewelry, although I did get some jewelry, but like, yeah, like anything that feels unusual, like anything that you really want. I mean, I don't even know if I know when it's coming. I don't know when a good Christmas is coming or a bad Christmas is coming. It just, yeah, you don't know. Um, That's true. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's hit and miss. <laughs> you know what I mean? about, I see guitars behind you. What about a guitar? Is that a good gift? If someone surprises you with a new guitar or no, don't, that you don't really work. want that? That's that work. work. Okay. No, I like, I like the holiday to be not intruded upon by like, work. I like it to be a step into a separate kind of life. You so know you're, what I mean? So you're totally not in any type of work mode right now. You are just Oh no, I am. Oh, yeah. Friday okay. Friday should be the end of it, but it has been a hell of a fall. So yeah, right. no we're, we're kind of losing it. But I'm I'm starting to slow down a little bit. All right. Is there gonna be now because I had heard that there might be a sequel to horror stories. Is there another there is there is and that's there a definite there always was. So when you signed your book deal, it was for two books. Two books. Four and, stories, fairy tales. And why separate them instead of releasing like a massive Keith Richards style book? Well, because I didn't want to do it just about my life. Mm -hmm. I wanted to write actual like semi-literature with okay. it about something that everyone can relate to. I don't walk around. I think this is unusual about me. I don't walk around feeling like a rock star. I don't, you don't seem like that either. You're not giving me any of that right now. I don't, I tried it. I did that for a while. I wasn't a pleasant human being. I became like Veruca Salt or something. Like it was not a good mode for me. And I also couldn't write songs because I think as an artist, I was a visual artist before I was a musical artist. So that's more hardwired in my DNA to be like an artist. Artist doesn't matter the medium. And I like to be the observer Okay. more than I like to be the observed. Now don't, I love a good photo shoot or video because then I'm making the art somehow, but it's got to involve making the art. If we're not making art of some kind, I'm not particularly interested. Gotcha. Um, and it just, for me, it's fun to just 
transform. Holidays come, you're a totally different person. And what about what about if you're on the street and you get recognized? How do you handle that? Do you get recognized? I would assume yes. I mean, in other cities, way more than here, which is weird. Mm-hmm. But I get it all the time in New York and Chicago, or even London, like in other cities like Seattle, San Francisco, I get recognized. I do not get recognized here. And maybe because there's so many stars here. Yeah. Maybe because it's old hat here too. You're like, yeah, yeah. And and my early career didn't impact LA as much. Mm -hmm. LA was not like a central market for me. It was, I was an East coast, Midwest artist. So what brought you, what brought you to California then? And this feels like this is where you're going to, well, okay. (laughs) So it was just that it was strictly weather, weather based. It was weather and the creativity that I felt like there was a point at which I was successful in Chicago where people kind of hated me for it. There was a sense that I'd taken too much of the share of my pie, Mm -hmm. the, the overall pie, that there wasn't that much creative industry in Chicago and any one person that got too big started to take shots. Okay. You know, people were taking shots at you for that. And, and it's just, that's just jealousy. It's well, it's also desperation because it's mostly a business town. It's not, it's an arts appreciating town. Right. But I don't, the arts community has that big of the economic pie graph. Right. I should say community. it was, that sounds like unwarranted jealousy. It's just, it's the, it's the circumstance and I couldn't deal with that. I don't have patience for that. I, you know, it wasn't easy for me Mm -hmm. the way people think it was. None of this career has been easy. And I think because I did get a couple breaks that I didn't totally deserve, like I was cute. I was a female. It was unusual what I was doing. I had provocative lyrics. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of, it was easy for people to say like, ah, she didn't have to, you know, pay her dues. Trust me did still like it's not easy so to be in an environment especially because i was a visual artist before and i've always been interested in writing where you don't have to just be an indie rocker or just be this or that los angeles has a creative community stemming from film you know much bigger industries the advertising the gaming right (laughs) whatever like big (laughs) entertainment industry here means spillover yeah you can you can compose for television you could write us there's just a lot of lateral movement yeah possible here. that kind of that kind of thing is ridiculous jealousy type thing and people because first of all you were born a woman you can't help if you're cute i mean these are things you, are you supposed to not pursue uh your passion just because you're cute and a woman that's stupid i hate it i don't think that they were mad at me for pursuing a passion i think they were bitter that when the powers that be came in and selected who they were gonna Mm -hmm. give contracts to that's when i think the bitterness came in and for a while i think 10 years after guyville i felt weird about that and and upset that they had treated me that way and then now i actually see more their side of it i see the view of it is hard in an area where you don't have as many opportunities for as many people and to be working at it a long time and then some chick they didn't know me they didn't know that i had been writing songs since i was in eighth grade they didn't know Mm -hmm. the art career i had at oberlin i just waltz into wicker park and next thing you know i've got a big contract you know i think that's how it happens sometimes 
That's how it happens. That's how it happens. It's necessarily right. You know yeah. what I mean? And it isn't, I don't deny myself anything that I got. I just think that I have so much more understanding and empathy for what it meant to them at the time to feel passed over yeah. unfairly and well, to, to feel that yet again, the major labels were doing up to no good, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to think of my, I'm going to think like maybe a label person would. And if I want to have a diverse roster on my label and I'm looking around and you've got the goods, then why am I not going to sign you? You know what I mean? If you, you want to have, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's an and not an or. Right. You know, like it makes perfect sense. I would sign me too. Yeah. But it's also about a whole scene of community. Like mm -hmm. what the thing was in Wicker Park, and I think this is what they resented, is that, and Steve Albini helped me understand this. It was a community that helped each other. They helped each other. They had developed an intertwining web of like helping each other tour, helping each other record, helping each other with their jobs so they could survive. There was a real community, which I sort of skated into unaware of the deeper bonds and the deeper ties Yeah, and kind of, you know, did whatever I normally do. And, and it felt like I had been selected from the scene that they had built for so long mm -hmm. without having put into the scene, without having, laid down those roots or supported that scene. And then I just fucked off to New York or wherever I went, you yeah. know, like, so I get it. But from my point of view also, there's, it wasn't that really from yeah. my story different than the story they're telling themselves. And I think everybody understands that it's water under the bridge now, but you know, at the time I didn't get it at the time they didn't get it. And now we all get it. Yeah. Well, I hope we get it. I hope we get it. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I, my background is stand-up comedy, so that would be that was the same. I started in Chicago, and that was the same way. Someone would come in who was the new face. He wasn't any better or worse than you, but he was new, and they would get some attention. So that's just how it is. Don't get into show business <laughs> and, and expect it to just right. It's not. There's yeah. no. Think, there's there's I no book. The Wicker, the Wicker Park music scene was anti-show business. Okay, and I was pro-show business. And I think that also rankled them. Like, why, why wouldn't you be? If you want to get in, if that's what you want your vocation to be, then you have to be pro show business. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I really do see it from their point of view. I do. And I, I think there's a scene in LA that I love mm -hmm. that I found through other friends, like a whole music scene in LA of people that support each other and keep each other afloat and care about each other and throw gigs each other's way, you know? those kind of webs are vital for artists vital. Yeah. And at the time at the age of 25, 26, was I caring about that? No, not at all. You know, and you should, I, and, and no 20 New York for visual artists. I'd been at Oberlin, like writing songs and doing visual. Like I had a whole different take on it. And we just happened to clash in terms of what our perception was. Well, I'm interviewing you, not any, um, none of them. <laughs> <laughs> so uh good for you um, i'm not saying i didn't have the talent i did i'm just saying there right. was a misunderstanding and i could have been more sensitive to where i was and what i was yeah i'm sad that you still think about it, it seems like you still do think about it though because as the older i get the more i see 
what is beneath the things that we take for granted. Mm -hmm. The more I understand the value of, I've been through more hard times. I've been in circumstances where I watch their community and think I could never be totally a part of it because mm -hmm. I'm just not a joiner like that. I'm a lone whatever. I mean, that's what people know me for. Like she sort of did it her own way. Yeah. And that's, that plays into your social life too. Like, but I'm the kind of person that has like one really good friend in all these different social scenes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and that I, I can be part of scenes and I can go and know everybody, but I'm never the ones on the deep email thread because that requires responsibility to that scene. That becomes a membership thing that, that sort of you become part of a large family and that always, you know, I just want to do art. Yeah. That's a, yeah. That's a lot of work and a lot of hassle sometimes too. But I just, I see the beauty in it. It's its own art piece. Having a community like that mm -hmm. around art is its own art piece. Okay. To create that community is a work of art. But you, uh, living in LA for 20 years now, you, you feel like you have some of that. Yes. Good. Yes. And this time I appreciate it and I understand it and I'm respectful of it. Terrific. But I'm still off doing my own crazy shit. Like I'm going to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> It's my joy. I mean, my mom says this all the time. Whenever I go through tough times, she's like, you never reach a higher high than when you're making art that you really love and you feel like it's really like there is no higher high for me. And it shows it shows in my personal life like that is that is where I feel like I'm touching the heavens. I feel like I'm transcending my small 70 plus year life, you know, like that's where the addiction is. Is yeah. to feel like that art is really happening. Can well, you hear my stomach growling? I really hope you can. I can't. You probably can. When I listen back, though, I'll, I'll really I'll strain to uh, to listen to it. Well, that's yeah, good that's for your mom. To, that's good for your mom to tell you that. That's good. Uh, that's some good parenting. So, you go, mom. Go, uh, mom. So, Liz, this has been really fun for me to talk to you, and I hope when your next project comes out that you will come back and we can really dig in to your catalog of music because I got, I got, I got all these notes that oh I'm Lord. keeping <laughs> and, uh, Sorry. and no, no, it's cool. I, cause, um, I want to, I want when you come back. Is there and, anything from that that you really just want an answer from that's very specific? No, or? no, no. Cause I enjoyed this. Uh, I enjoyed this friendly conversation about growing up and Christmas and a, a little bit about, um, about your career, but, uh, we'll take like, I'd love to take a deep dive and I'm not going to put you on the spot to promise me that, but I would love to take a deep dive when, the next uh, the next book comes out or or new music comes out. I would love to do that because I'm a I'm a big fan. I will tell you, White Chocolate Space Egg. I don't think it's uh, gets it's due. I think that's such a good record, and I just want to talk about that the next time. So hopefully, well, hopefully, you hopefully you'll want to do that. You'll see the value in this. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to get smarter the older I get. So that's a good bet. So thank you for your patience and uh, thank you for your good humor in so this of sort course. of. Now I usually, I, I, I usually end the show with a play out song. So it's usually a song by the artist, but I'll play whatever song you want. Do, me do ho, ho, ho. Okay, we'll I'll, find I'll find Ho Ho Ho, and that'll be our playout song. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> okay, Liz, I wish you and Nick and anyone you come in contact with uh, via Zoom over the holidays, I want you all to have great holiday season, and I thank you so much for doing this. And that's it. Thank you. Take care.
And this is where we wave awkwardly. We wave, okay. and then I just, and I end it. Bye, Liz Fair. Have fun with the trains. Mm-hmm. Thanks. <laughs> 2020. <laughs> some coal and some switches ours is the dimmest house on the block they're hanging stockings and we're hanging socks doing shots of room temperature peppermint schnapps as the log on tv crackles and pops they had to cut back on